This is an ABC podcast. A big airlift underway this evening in remote desert country as a major flood strands hundreds of people. We're starting to see some uh, large size aircraft coming in and uh, that evacuation effort now is starting to ramp up and uh, fingers crossed uh, we'll get the greater portion of the community out of here tonight. And the indelible lesson from the loss of a delicatessen. We head to Outback Queensland where the closure of a favourite supermarket has been very hard to swallow. You can't buy two or three slices of anything, you've got to buy half a kilo. Once you unwrap the ham, you can't freeze it comes out of the freezer slimy, so you throw it out. You must have thrown money in the bin. I'm Adam Stephen, and this is Australia Wide coming to you from your dingy country in far north Queensland. Evacuation efforts continue in the remote Northern Territory this evening as a major monsoonal flood takes its toll. Temporary accommodation centres in Darwin will house hundreds of people from four flood-affected communities, but... They have to get there first. Scores of buildings were swamped in Kalgaringi by the Upper Victoria River. Des Green lives there. He's the CEO of the Gurindji Aboriginal Corporation. And I spoke to Des as he and others awaited their evacuation flight out. We're in a uh, remote Indigenous community. Uh, we're about uh, 400, just 400k southwest out of a major centre called Catherine in the Northern Territory. To give you a bit of an idea, the, the the landscape around here is uh, bordered by the uh, what they call the Victoria River system. Uh, great cattle country. Uh, the problem with the watercourse, though, is uh, when we do get those good tropical monsoonal rains, we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we can be subject to extreme flooding, uh, as has been the case on this occasion. How high has the flood water reached where you are in Kalkarinji? Yeah, the uh, the floods have uh, equaled record highs, uh, and what that basically means is uh, we've had 17 metre highs um, to the point where we had 17 metre highs yesterday and uh, 16 metre highs again today. Um, so with the current monsoonal rains that are still persisting around the top end, uh, those levels will remain for some time. But I think we have seen the worst of it, I'd like to think. But uh, in terms of our community, it has actually had a major impact on us. Our community is broken down into two parts. We have uh, what's known as Dargaragu community on one side of the river. And that houses a small population. There's a large number of houses there. And we have on the other side is Kalkarinji, which is the, the major town centre, for want of a better word. Um, what it does, uh, for, for Dargaragu, it, uh, it affected all the houses. All houses became inundated. Um, yesterday we saw, uh, uh, you might have seen some quite distressing video scenes. We've had people uh, evacuated from rooftops uh, via helicopter. Uh, the floodwaters uh, rose just so quickly. Uh, so they were brought into Kalkaringi. Uh, we've set up a, a shelter now in the Kalkaringi community at the school. They've been doing a great job there. Um, but in Kalkaringi itself, uh, the, uh, the store was inundated with water. Our Child and Family Services Centre was uh, inundated with water with a large number of its supplies washed away. Uh, and sadly, we've had a large number of houses uh, impacted as well. Uh, power to the community is, is, is not happening at the moment. Uh, access to fuels and other essential services is obviously quite limited. We've been running with the assistance of the local emergency management committee um, uh, a 24-hour shelter, uh, trying to coordinate the evacuation effort. And it hasn't necessarily been an easy process to evacuate hundreds of people, Des Green. How has it unfolded today? 
Yeah, it has been a bit of a piecemeal approach, and and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, obviously, there's some a lot of efforts happening around the territory itself. Um, we've had a situation where we've been relying on a lot of smaller smaller aircraft to to get people out of the community. Um, but uh, fortunately, uh, the federal government has uh, provided some uh, extra support, and we're starting to see some. Uh, larger size aircraft coming in and uh, that evacuation effort now is starting to ramp up and uh, fingers crossed uh, we'll get the greater portion of the community out of here tonight. Uh, the, the biggest, I, I think the biggest uh, standout for me has been the local support services and how well they work together, uh, whether that be the efforts of local police. The, the local police officers here, they, they lost their own houses through the process, the police houses they're in and uh, their personal effects. Um, despite that, they still put the community first. Uh, we had a large number of volunteers from the uh, Gurindji Aboriginal Corporation, uh, where I work. We've got the Vic Daily Regional Council. We've got a large number of support services here, the NT government and their health staff every, and the school. Um, they've all just dropped what they're doing and banded together. The community, its elders, um, everyone has just uh, pulled together and under the circumstances. and. Look, there is uncertainty, there's anxieties, and there's a lot of traumatic, a lot of stress experienced by a lot of people. But uh, on the whole, it's everyone needs to be commended for how they've stood up in this process. Well, safe travels to you and the rest of those that are yet to be lifted out. Des Green, thanks for joining us on Australia Wide. Uh, thank you kindly. The CEO of the Gurindji Corporation, Des Green, with us this evening. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide on ABC Radio. It was something so routine, a Sunday stroll with a dog. But for 24-year-old Toy accordingly, a trip to a beach in 2018 would cost her her life. Almost four and a half years on, a former nurse will now face a murder charge. The steps to get here, though, have been anything but straightforward. Christopher Tester has been covering this story for the ABC, and he's with us now on Australia Wide. Chris, the man police accused of murdering Toy accordingly touched down in Cairns today. He was arrested in November. What did police have to go through to bring him back from India? Yeah, good evening, Adam. A complex process was how the police described it, multi-agency and multinational, because this all began in India, where 38-year-old Rajwinder Singh was arrested in November. There have been several court appearances both here and in India since then, but he did arrive in Cairns today. I was down at the uh, in front of the Cairns Watch House watching a convoy of police cars go through where they brought him from the airport. But uh, one thing that's probably worth mentioning is that extraditions can be lengthy and complex, and this one could have taken a lot longer. One of the things that sped the process up was Rajwinder Singh's willingness to return. He's maintained his innocence throughout, declared his intention... Uh, in India to fight this, uh, these ac- accusations in Australia, and he consented to his extradition. There were a few court appearances since then, and but once an Indian court did approve that extradition, went before the Indian government. Finally, this this week there was a big move to fly him back to Australia via Melbourne. Then another extradition hearing in Melbourne to return to Queensland. So, lots of court appearances, lengthy processes, but finally back here after. Multiple police from different agencies were able to bring him back from New Delhi. Remind us what's alleged to have happened on that beach north of Cairns four years ago. Toy Corningly was with her dog Indy at Wangetti Beach that day, but uh, she didn't return home, and that's when a search began for her. She wasn't found on that day. 
Uh, she was found the next day, in fact, by her father, who had uh, had joined the search along with uh, police and SES. Uh, we understand that the uh, injuries were quite violent and uh, and visible on Toya, and that her father, Troy Cordingly, was understandably in quite a bad way, quite devastated. Um, prosecutors told the Melbourne Magistrates Court at Mr Singh's brief extradition hearing this week that DNA evidence will form part of the prosecution case against the 38-year-old. The other allegations that uh, exactly what uh, transpired on that day will be heard before the courts uh, here in Queensland over the coming months. How significant is this case to the people of Cairns? Hugely significant. If you come to Far North Queensland, you'll probably have some exposure to the case, and the reason for that is there are bumper stickers with Toya's name on them, which have uh, done the rounds of the city since uh, this tragedy happened in October 2018. Uh, Signs and stickers calling for justice. There's a public memorial at Wangetti Beach. People do go there to remember her. Uh, And Toya's family have always awaited justice, and the significance uh, wasn't lost on Detective Inspector Sonia Smith uh, when she addressed the media today. I acknowledge that her family and friends are still dealing with the loss. Now that the matter is before the court, I'd ask that the community not speculate and allow the justice process to be undertaken. Most importantly, I'd like to acknowledge Toya's mum and dad. They've put their faith and trust in police to deliver justice for their daughter, over a long period of time. Today's outcome is one step forward in the judicial process. I recognise that this is an extremely difficult time for them both. Detective Inspector Sonia Smith speaking to media not too long ago there in Cairns and uh, Rajwinder Singh is expected to face the Cairns Magistrates Court tomorrow morning. Thank you for joining us on Australia Wide. That's Christopher Tester from ABC Far North. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. A Senate inquiry into the widespread closure of regional bank branches has held a hearing in sale today in Victoria's Gippsland region. There's been a 30% drop in the number of bank branches in Australia in the past five years, with the closure rate even faster in remote and very remote areas. ABC Gippsland reporter Georgia Lenton Williams was at the hearing in sale today, and she joins us now on Australia Wide. And Georgia, Well, we know bank closures have been happening all over Australia. How concerning has the situation been in the Gippsland region where you are? Gippsland has had a lot of banks close in the past few years. Um, Just an example, I I spoke to a man called Ray Burgess, who runs a news agency in Morwell, um, and he's had to be a customer of four different banks in just over a year. He told me that in just over a 12-month period, the the town, uh, this sort of uptown area of Morwell has lost five across-the-counter banks um, and was left with just one. Um, I've also heard, for example, that um, people who run hospitality venues and other small businesses are being forced to transport really large amounts of cash, uh, you know, to to their nearest bank branch because perhaps they live in a town that doesn't have one. Uh, So, yeah, I'd I'd say it's been pretty widespread. Today, the first of a number of hearings that will be held around the country. Who did the inquiry hear from? Westpac and NAB kicked off the session this morning. Uh, Their sessions ended up actually running overtime. And while I wasn't able to attend those sessions in person, I heard later that the inquiry was really shocked by the lack of consultation that those banks had done with community members before they actually decided to close the banks. 
The hearing also heard from uh, two local councils as well as uh, organisations that represent small businesses in the region and a local tourism association. And there was also a representative from the finance sector union, uh, which represents the employees of banks. And she raised concerns about how their members are actually coping with these closures. Um, You know, she said thousands of jobs have been lost for those bank branch employees and that a lot of them are not feeling comfortable, you know, perhaps working from home um, in in call centre environments or sort of online focused roles. Um, She also has said that the the banks apparently um, have sort of used the pandemic perhaps as an excuse to speed up some of those closures. What are the reasonings we're getting from the banks, Georgia, as to why there's been such widespread closures across the country? Look, the, the first thing that the banks say is that there's been a drop in foot traffic. Chief Executive of the Australian Banking Association, Anna Bly, told us that foot traffic inside bank branches has declined by almost 70% in recent years. So, I mean, that's obviously a big drop. They say that more people are using online banking. Um, so the banks are channeling their resources into that by trying to protect people from scams um, and making those online processes more efficient because, you know, that's where most customers are. Anna Bly also pointed to uh, this this new service that the banks are funding Australia Post to provide, which, which can help people, I guess, do basic banking um, tasks, but it doesn't offer, you know, perhaps the, the full service that you would get in a proper bank branch. You know, people can't afford, uh, people can't apply for loans in, in a post office, for example. But, you know, they certainly point to that as, as being a sort of... Um, I guess, a possible solution in in this situation. You were there for the open session this afternoon where the members of the public actually got to have a say. What stories did they share? Only two members of the public actually got up to have their say. The first was a man called Dennis who described himself as being a vulnerable customer. He said that he doesn't know anything about online banking. He was clearly feeling very worried. He's been a customer of Westpac here in Sale. Um, and, and he, you know, gave a re- pretty resounding call that community members need to speak up about how they're feeling. Um, and then there was also a, a woman who has, has worked in the banking sector. She's been a client with Westpac for 45 years uh, and, and now she's working as a mortgage broker. And she was really concerned about how Australia Post will handle that additional workload uh, as they're being kind of looked to as, a, as an alternative for these banking services. She also raised uh, questions and concerns about how people might do those more complex banking tasks like applying for a mortgage, getting their ID checked um, and, and issues with regional customers doing interviews via Zoom to get loans approved. She said regional people feel really uncomfortable on Zoom and doing those processes online. Um, and that there's sort of a lack of understanding about the lifestyle of regional people from perhaps those bank employees in in, re- in major cities. Um, and also the people who spoke on the behalf of various organisations voiced particular concern for how elderly, vulnerable and, and low-income community members will cope. Particularly with everything being online, it's, it's the people who don't have access to smart devices and who maybe don't have the technological literacy uh, who, who risk getting you know, potentially locked out of banking services. Thank you very much for taking us into the hearings today. Georgia Lenton-Williams, it's been great to have you on Australia Wide. Thanks very much. This is ABC Australia Wide. And Adam Stephen, keeping you company this evening. It's not just bank closures that seem to be ruffling the feathers of rural folk. A decision by a supermarket operator to close 
one of its offerings in Charleville in southwest Queensland, has really stirred things up, even inspiring the local CWA branch to launch into action. And as Carly Willis reports, residents say they deserve better. On Christmas Eve, Cornet Supermarkets closed one of its two grocery stores in Charleville. With a big tourist season predicted, Merway Shire Mayor Sean Zorro-Radnich says there's concerns the store won't keep up with demand. At this point in time, it's a quiet period for us here right in Charleville where our tourist season hasn't kicked off yet. So that's going to be our biggest challenge. We will monitor that. And obviously this doesn't just concern just the residents. You know, Within council, we have to think about things as far as if we have a disaster or anything around those lines like a flood or, a, or anything that could potentially change those lines. The Super IGA services surrounding towns and properties. The next nearest supermarket is in another town 300 kilometres away. Moe Shire Council has approved expansion works at the store, but Cornette says works won't begin for at least six months. Judy Connolly has lived in Charleville for more than 30 years and remembers a time when locals were spoilt for choice and had three grocery stores, but says those days are long gone. Very often the larger RGA here is a lot of products that you can't get. They're not stocking it or they're out of stock or they haven't got it in or they're waiting on trucks to come. It's inconvenient for people who live out of town. They can't come back in tomorrow. The Queensland Country Women's Association's Charleville branch is unhappy about the losses too. They've written a letter to the supermarket chain outlining the impacts on the town's most vulnerable residents. Branch President Shona Fitzgerald says the grocery store that was closed was more accessible to people with mobility and sensory issues. It had wider aisles. So there was a greater ability for people in wheelchairs and mobility scooters to use the store. It was also used by people who had sensory issues because it was a quieter, there was less foot traffic than the King Street store just because of its size. It is removing that assisted access for that group of the community. Cornette Supermarket's chief executive, Graham Boyson, says it was a business decision to combine the two outlets and the larger store is keeping up with demand. It was running pretty well. Um, It was just a lot smaller than the big store and all the staff that we had in the smaller store have transferred across to the big store. And the fact that we're extending the bigger store, we just felt that the town didn't need two supermarkets. Um, But yeah, I have no issue maintaining and growing the store as well. But residents are concerned the cracks are appearing and say they're noticing empty shelves more frequently. Mayor Radnage is also the local butcher and he says he's also experiencing difficulty purchasing stock. As far as stock goes, it is a challenge being a store owner myself and I know we're working with a lot of wholesalers. It is a challenge with certain products that there's shortages all over Queensland. I'm not saying that that's the case here at the IGA. I can't speak for, on behalf of IGA, but it is a concern and we will be monitoring that. In its letter, the CWA also raised potential public health impacts after the delicatessen was removed from the remaining grocery store. Cornette Supermarkets says they made the decision as it is difficult to source staff and pre-packed deli options have a longer shelf life. Ms Smith, who is a single pensioner in Charleville, says it pulls at the purse strings to have to buy in bulk. You can't buy two or three slices of anything. You've got to buy half a kilo. Once you unwrap the ham and have your sandwich, what do you do with the rest of it? You can't freeze it. It comes out of the freezer slimy. 
budget wise you're buying stuff that you can't use so you're throwing it out you must have thrown money in the bin that was Charleville pensioner Sue Smith ending that report from Carly Willis in southwest Queensland one of the questions was Dane do you do you remember when granddad tipped the back over out at the ball ABC Australia wide and it was like bzz, bzz. I thought okie doke that thing works on ABC radio with Adam Stevent this evening filling in for Sinead Mangan. 1903, that was the year that the world's first silent film, The Great Train Robbery, debuted across the United States. But it was also the year that the 3001 steam locomotive made its own grand appearance on railways around Sydney. And 120 years on, one of those historic locos has just returned to the tracks in Thirlmere, in the MacArthur region, of New South Wales. Nicole Kirby was there as it left the station. My name is Andrew Moritz and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Transport Heritage New South Wales. And we're here for the unveiling of the 3001 steam locomotive. It's glistening in the sun here, shiny and black, massive lot of coal piled on the back and steam hissing out the side. What's it taken to get the locomotive back in working order? Yeah, look, this locomotive has certainly had um, the complete overhaul, if you like. It's had a new boiler fitted to it. But Just heard you describe it as putting a new motor in an old Holden sort of thing. <laughs> That's right. Um, it is a bit like that. So it's it's got a new um, boiler, which we'll see um, it operate now for continued service for the next 10 or so years um, before it needs that kind of treatment again. The frame's been straightened. It's got a new tender. The braking gear has all been reconfigured um, and checked and made sure it's working safely because when it's operating on the loop line here at Thelmere, it will be operating on some of the steepest track here in New South Wales. And so what you're developing here is a Puffin Billy type experience, a bit like they've got in Victoria, is it? We've only been operating to a township called Buxton uh, south of here since we moved here in 1973. But uh, the opportunity to reopen the line from Buxton through to Collavale is the project we're currently working on. And indeed, we look forward to the day that we can, in fact, reinstate the whole loop uh, through to Mittagong. And this train itself, just tell me a little bit about the life of it. It was first built in 1903, so 120 years ago, and it's been reinvented a couple of times since then. Is that right? Yes, it's probably had more comebacks than Dame Nellie Melba, I think. But certainly they were first introduced in for Sydney suburban work um, for the expanding network that was the railways in 1903. It was then repurposed as the Sydney suburban network was electrified. It was repurposed for the country network and indeed operated regularly up until the uh, mid-70s um, in regional New South Wales and particularly um, hauling the... Uh, Mail. My name is Ben Elliott and I'm the Fleet Maintenance Manager for Transport Heritage New South Wales. It sat for a fair while as a stripped down shell for about 18 months but while it looked like nothing was happening all the work on all the components was being undertaken in the background. It actually came together in steam locomotive parlance, it was fairly quick. Nothing's quick on these things, but yeah, it did come together fairly quickly. And a lot of volunteers have been involved, just really dedicated train enthusiasts. Yep. Tell me about the people in the team that, that restored the locomotive. Um, we, we, we are lucky to have um, a good contingent of full-time staff, but we're also even more lucky to have 
a good team of volunteers who give three or four days a week, every week, um, and have done on this project for the last three years. And the whistle's blowing, so the, the train is set to take passengers. Yeah, we're about to go, yes, we're about to head down and run the first passenger train with 30 hour one, which will be really exciting. And how does it feel for you to see the train sparkling in the sunshine, steam coming out the side, coal loaded up, ready to take its first passengers? Oh, look, it's really good. It, it, it's the culmination of a lot of hard work from a lot of people, um, and it does take a lot of people to do this. Um, it's really good, yeah, we're, we're all pretty proud. All aboard, and that was Nicole Kirby we were hearing from. Thank you for that report. It's been Adam Stephen keeping you company this evening for Australia Ride. That is the program on this Thursday. Remember, you can podcast the show or listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app or by visiting the Australia Wide website. Just search ABC Australia Wide. That's it for the program this evening. Have a great night. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.